0: Welcome guys and gals to the Man Talks Podcast. I'm Connor Beaton, the host and founder of Man Talks. This podcast brings together the best thought leaders, teachers, and extraordinary individuals to help teach and mentor you on how to be a top performer in life, love, and business. The mission of Man Talks is to help develop self-aware, high-performing, and impactful men in the world, the type of men you want to be, and the type of man you want to be around. Just a reminder for all the guys out there to head on over to facebook.com forward slash Mantox dash community, or just search for Mantox community in the uh, Facebook search button. It'll allow you to join an incredible, incredible group of men that's growing every single day. We've got some great guys in there from around the world. And we have some awesome discussions, challenges, insights on many different uh, avenues of uh, being a man, being a father, being a husband, being a business owner... Uh, we share some insights, resources, we've got challenges, and we talk about things like finances and fitness and health and nutrition. So definitely check that out. It is worth joining. Uh, and for the guys that are in Vancouver and Calgary, I encourage you to check out the Man Talks Mastermind. We are growing quickly, and we've got another few groups that are starting up next month. So I encourage you to check that out. It uh, gives you access to all of our live events and a really, really great community of men that are in Vancouver and Calgary. And for everybody else, don't worry, we're coming at you soon. We are expanding our mastermind base into Toronto, Los Angeles, and a few of the other cities around North America later on this year. Today, I have joining me, Dr. Kevin Gilliand. He is a licensed clinical psychologist with over 20 years of experience in helping clients and their families. He's passionate about working with individuals, couples, families, and likes to focus really in on people who have struggled or are struggling with the disease of addiction, depression, anxiety, and helps to guide them on the path of recovery. He specializes in alcohol and drug abuse, dependency, and believes that each client has a unique journey and should be treated as such. And so today, we're going to take a really cool approach. I wanted to have somebody on. You know, I've, I've had a few of you reach out and say, listen, I think it'd be great. I have you know, my wife struggles with depression or anxiety. Um, I've had a few people reach out and say, listen, I have a, you know, my boyfriend is is really, you know, is challenged, seems challenged with with addiction or or depression, and I just don't know how to support them. And these types of topics can be a really challenging subject to to talk about. It can be confronting for a lot of people. And so I wanted to take a little bit of a different approach. So I wanted to talk about this from the approach of how do we perform at our best? How do we perform at our best? And how do we start to identify the roadblocks at performing at our best? Because there's very clear markers that are stopping us from actually being a, you know, a quote unquote high performer. There's things that prevent us from really leaning into our work, leaning to our purpose. There, and there's, there's very clear markers that prevent us from being a great partner, from actually showing up for the person that we love the most. And so I wanted to have a psychologist on to really dive into some of these topics and, and really be able to uncover how do we start to identify when we're struggling, whether it's emotionally, mentally, or physically? How do we start to come to terms with, you know, maybe we're struggling with our anxiety and that anxiety is stopping us from performing at our best, whether it's at work or with our family how do we start to identify if you know we're going down the path of depression and how do we start to put in preventative measures so that we don't go down that path so those are some of the things that we that we talk about in the in the beginning of the podcast and then towards the end of the podcast we dive into how do we support the people in our life who are so clearly struggling And this is a question that I think a lot of us have, whether it's something that's been in the past and we weren't able to support somebody or it's in the current moment, or we just want to feel prepared for our future of how do we support someone who's clearly struggling with depression, anxiety? How do we not only identify it, but how do we broach that conversation? Because it can be really, really challenging to have that conversation in a way that doesn't really confront them and have them shut down so I you know I think a lot of us a lot of us out there have either struggled with anxiety and depression or know somebody that has and want to be able to support them better so that we can be a better partner so that you know we can be have a more whole family so that's what we're going to dive into today it's a really great topic he's got some Kevin's got some really really solid insight on this. Uh, And he's got a great Texas accent, so that doesn't hurt either. So without any further ado, I would like to welcome in. Dr. Kevin Gillian.
1: Yeah, good to be here, Connor. Looking forward to the time.
0: Yeah, man. I mean, you've done some really cool things and and I've actually really been, the more I researched you and the more that uh, I sort of dove into your work and, and what you've been doing and, and what we could talk about on this podcast, I started getting really excited. And, uh, you know, I think we we probably talked for like 15 minutes before we even started recording, just kind of jamming. So I think this is going to be good. But let's start where we always start with all of our guests, which is tell me and tell us, our listeners, a story about a defining moment that has made you who you are today.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny. I I, uh, I got that just from listening to your other podcast, so I knew to expect it, thought about it, and honestly, and, and I'm being honest here, I really think it's when my wife said yes, when I asked her to marry me. Now, why I thought that was a defining moment then and why I think it is now are completely different answers, but- I had no idea how much I would learn about myself, how much I would grow in my career and in relationships and try things that I would not have tried, stepped into things I wouldn't have stepped into. And, you know, it's there's an element that you got to be a little bit lucky in who you pick. And then you got to be willing to become the right kind of person, which means, boy, you're going to suffer and you'll experience joys. So yeah, I really would. I'd say it's that I've been very fortunate with that.
0: Yeah, so I mean, you're talking about uh, some some really cool things. So I mean, I just got engaged, and and I, I really am, am curious. You know, how does how does getting engaged, how does getting married, and and these these major shifts, whether it's those or having a kid, uh, change you as a man, as a business owner, as a brother? How's that showing up for you?
1: Guy, you know, it's one. I think about things I've never thought about. She has a perspective in life that's very different than mine and a voice. And she sees things about me that I don't see at all. She sees some things that I know that I'm trying to work on and it's irritating when she brings them up, but it's a reminder. And she she sees things I do well. She sees things I don't do well. And if you get lucky enough and work at it, she has a way of saying it so that I can hear it, which there is nothing more valuable than being in a relationship, whether it's with your spouse or very close friends or colleagues, where you're known and where you know them. It creates an opportunity that is very difficult, which is when we talk about growth and getting better and excelling at things, you're going to have difficult conversations. You're going to hear things that are difficult to hear. But if you're in the right kind of relationship, you want that. You want to get better, especially men. You want to get better. You want to strive. You want to grow. You want to excel. You want to achieve. That's just – it's one of those pieces of, I think, the male DNA that can be wonderful, but without the right kind of insight and feedback, it can be horrible. It can come at a great cost.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's – I mean, it's interesting. One of the reasons why I wanted to really have you on the podcast here and and dive into some of these topics is that I think you have a very interesting perspective around – you know mental health and psychology and you know what makes us perform at our best, which is one of the biggest things here you know like our mission is to help develop self aware high performing impactful men and and so I think that high performance is really something that I see a lot of guys striving for and I'm curious to get your perspective as a mental health professional as a psychologist of how we can actually move towards high performance, maybe how you define it and what you see a lot of guys struggling with through the, you know, through your practice, through your profession, what you see a lot of the obstacles, uh, that a lot of men face that, cause there's going to be some commonalities.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, I'm, I'm, in a place now in my career. I'm old enough that I ended up working. I, I end up working with the older professional folks and I, and Th- for whatever reasons, have had a chance to work with some men and women that have achieved some really incredible things in life. And then oddly enough, through my own personal life and rehabbing from a uh, knee injury, I had a chance to to work with a physician that does a lot with Olympic athletes. And so while I was rehabbing, I got to talking to him about um, Olympic athletes. And I was like, okay, hey, what's the difference between them and an ordinary Joe like me? He was like, well, first you got to have a, Genetic abnormality, which is a physician's way of saying, you're not 6'8 or 6'10. You'll never play in the NBA. So you got to have an abnormality. But then at the level of excellence, whether it's in Olympics, and I see it with physicians and attorneys and CEOs, he said the difference between the greats is what their mind does. And that's one of those things I've never forgotten because I see it all the time in the work that I do that we we have this hope and this belief that I can pursue excellence at whatever I'm doing in my career or even in my family life. And then I can neglect these other little things. Like I said to you, we were talking before I got on, I'd listened to Balduzzi's podcast with you, which is dynamite. I put it on our Facebook page. I'm like, every man should listen to this because you can't Sleep deprive yourself and expect to perform at high levels cognitively. Sleep deprivation is more harmful, causes more fatalities on our highways than does drunk driving. And so you look at what they've had to do to change the way pilots, truckers, physicians, because we know sleep deprivation impairs cognition. But when me, you, when we all get wrapped up in pursuing our careers, we think we can keep squeezing things with our body and with time, sleeping or nutrition or those things that, quote, we don't have time for. And what you see in people that excel is that they don't do that. They're more thoughtful about what they do. And they're, they think broader about their mental and physical functioning than most people do. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I mean, that makes a ton of sense. So so let's dig into this a little bit, because I, I feel like there's two sides, really. Uh, you know, on the one side, you know, I see a lot of people struggling to just get motivated, right? They have a plan, um, they, they might have some direction, but they, they just can't seem to get motivated to actually take action in that direction. And then on the other side of the coin, there are the guys who are starting to kick ass, right? They're leaning into they're leaning into taking action, they have some direction, they have some purpose in their life, and you know in the words of Gary Vaynerchuk, they're crushing it and they they start to fall out of balance where the things that got them to where they are, the things that got them to success start to fall by the wayside and they start pushing themselves further and further and further out of balance to achieve the results that they think that they are that are getting so so let's look at the let's look at the first side. What are some of the major blocks that you see? from people who can't seem to take action, who can't seem to take any, any, like get any forward momentum or find the motivation that they think they need. Um, and, and how big of a role does guilt and shame play into this? Oh man.
1: Yeah. Def it, it def guilt and shame definitely has a piece of it. We talk about motivation, but a lot of t- there's a lot of really interesting data on change. And when we feel like we're stuck, sometimes We don't move forward because we actually don't know what to do. We tried the things we thought would work, and they don't seem to get traction. And so we end up continuing to do things that we know aren't good, but it's because we don't know what to do different. And then there are those that at times, life, whether it's, you know, you spoke to the emotional piece of it, whether you're going through a merger or acquisition or you just got promoted and now you're traveling more, you're seeing family less, or it's disrupted your ability to work out, and that used to really keep you anchored on a good routine. And so you're starting to have a decrease in your energy level, and you're struggling with appetite, and those things spill over into what we typically call motivation to start or to engage in activities. And then you get the compounding and the interaction effect between our mental health and our physical health. So I, I, don't, I don't know if that speaks to something, but and oh, one other thought, sometimes we have a good idea, but it's at the wrong time. Our timing is off, right? Because we, we think we're always in this stage of ready to start or engage in a new behavior. And one of the things that's most important is to step back and go, okay, am I really at a place where that's a goal or is that somebody else's goal? And so it, it, some of it is user error. Like the the quintessential example is, any health club January 1st, any, just pick one. I don't care where you live. They will be overcrowded and they'll be overcrowded for four or five weeks. Now, is, is joining a gym a bad idea? No, it's not. But is joining a gym a bad idea if your physician or your wife told you you need to get in shape? Yeah, because you're going to go for four weeks and then you'll be done.
0: Yeah. So it really sounds like it's about choice. It sounds like it's about choice. So if, if you're making decisions based on what other people think you should be doing, that's never a recipe for success. Cause that's, that's, just, that's really, that's us seeking, uh, seeking acceptance. So what's also interesting is that, you know, I seem to hear a lot of people focusing on managing things like depression. I, I hear them, you know, this is how I'm managing my depression, I'm managing my anxiety, but not a lot of people focused on the prevention of the actual illnesses. I would love for you to unpack some of the precursors, some of the signs of when depression or anxieties are, are starting to form within us so that we can identify them, we can catch them uh, before they turn into something that is destructive in our in our lives.
1: Yeah, you know, one of one of our big ours, guys, one of our biggest problems, and, and we've known this for a long time about men, we are slow to the party when it involves our mental health. But by the way, we're, we're also pretty slow when it's our physical health. You know, we, we start to think about, maybe we need to do something about my heart after I have a heart attack. But in the mental health area, we're even slower. And so what what that means is, we end up talking to a professional when something breaks. My wife gives me an ultimatum uh I have some problem legally because I started asking alcohol to manage my emotions and got a DWI. Or I got uh I had a discussion with my boss or I got passed over by a guy that wasn't as qualified. And that's because men typically wait till things grow into a fairly significant problem. And and so instead of having symptoms of depression, I now have a full-blown depression. Instead of yeah, my drinking's causing problems in my marriage. Now I may have an addiction. And so first, I literally yesterday got a phone call from an executive, know somebody I work with, another executive, and he's going through a terrible family situation. And you can just hear it in his voice and he goes, you know, I uh, I don't like talking to people, but uh, I, I'm, I was like, man, just based on what you just told me, you're in a, that's a really tough situation tough patch. And he was like, oh, God, you have no idea. He goes, but I'm Irish. I don't like to talk. And I, I said, hey, look, I'm Irish, too. The reason you don't like to talk is you're a man. And so what I say to folks like him and a lot of the men I work with is just read up a little bit on what are the symptoms of depression? What are the symptoms of anxiety? What are the symptoms of an alcohol addiction because men far more than women like three to one have problems with addiction. That's when we, but, but what I would say is there's a lot of it that's linked to how we deal with mood and anxiety. And so what we end up doing is we end up asking, is there anything, let me back it. Is there anything wrong with having a glass of wine at night? No. But when you're asking that glass of wine to help you with your relationship with your wife, Ooh, now you're in trouble. Or if you're asking it to help every day kind of unwind, you may be stepping down a path. And so what I always talk about is don't look at the word addiction or depression or anxiety. Look at the symptoms. And if you go back to depression, I can't tell you how many men don't realize they struggle with symptoms of depression or anxiety. And with depression, men, we typically go, if someone says, hey, you seem like you're depressed, my answer is going to be no. Because when I think of depression, I think of this girl I dated or my wife or uh, this friend of mine's wife. Well, women struggle with de- when women struggle with depression, it looks different than men. When men struggle with depression, we tend to have symptoms that are being tired and fatigued, irritable. We have sleep problems. We lose interest in things that used to be enjoyable. And I'm like, OK, I know some people are like, well, that's just me on a normal day. No, it's there's a significant change. And so that's what I would say is it's incredibly valuable to look at, OK, what are those symptoms? And have I been struggling with those for several weeks? Or, you know, if when it comes back to alcohol, is the way I'm drinking alcohol starting to have a negative effect on relationships or even on me isolating and pulling back from things that I enjoy. Uh, so I, I, I would say, let me summarize all those thoughts. One, men are horrible about pushing back and not even seeking information. And, and I'd say the first step is, if you think you've got some mood or anxiety or even issues with alcohol, just read up on on what it is. Don't, don't get too fixated on a label. Just look at the symptoms. Because oftentimes, there's a lot we can do about a symptom.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is so good. There, You know, the more we can educate ourselves on the symptoms, the more likely we are to have the self-awareness to identify them when and if they come up. And I think that a lot of people experience this anxiety. So having that, having that knowledge is really important. And it's interesting because you're talking about the difference between men and women. And it's almost like as a guy, we seem to be and we seem to have this like predisposition to uphold the image that we are strong, that we have it together, and that everything is okay. And, and it's almost like if anything threatens that, we immediately avoid that which seems to to be actually like cultivating that. So we we avoid that awareness. We avoid that reality. So is there any like psychological reasons? Because I'm really curious about this. Is there any psychological reasons why a lot of us seem to avoid looking at these parts which aren't working, even when we see them come up?
1: Yeah, you know, when you uh, and some really bright people have researched and written and talked about, you know, it taps into a little bit of the cultural expectations, you do get variability uh, across cultures and even across countries. And so there is a little bit of that sense, even if I'm in my fifties and you think about the conversations I had with my father about the psychological nature of life and honestly excelling. And if you look at anybody that's been successful at life, it's more than just about raw intelligence that that's not going to usually not going to lead to success. And you see that even in athletics. I mean, it's, you see athletes that have unbelievable physical ability that teams won't touch or they have them for a little while and they get rid of them. Why? Because they don't have that ability to grow and understand how the relational, psychological, also known as the emotional piece impacts performance and a team or department environment. And so there is that element that I think we'll start to see a little bit of a, a change, but it's very slow. So you have the social piece. You also have the family relational piece. You just may not have had that kind of practice as a kid growing up. And is there a little bit that men and, and our image like like, you know, you see women wrestle with a lot of what's projected out there about, a woman either being healthy physically or certain roles i think men get the same piece projected out there that there's this this sense and and many have written about it that you know that male typical if you will that male sort of stereotypical i need to do this on my own that having to ask for help would be seen or could be perceived as a weakness and but i think that's starting to change a little bit you know, part of it is, it's funny. If you look at it for men, you see, you have to look, but if you look, you see men talk about psychological things, but it tends to fall under a broader umbrella of coaching, personal development, uh, some of the, you know, other readings and books that slowly start to help men, I think, as you advance in your career, understand and appreciate the role of psychology and relationships.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So touching on success uh, and, and Jack Ma, really interesting. I saw Jack Ma, the CEO of, of Alibaba recently was uh, doing an interview and he was talking about intelligence. And he was talking about how, you know, for a long time, we were really focused in on IQ or intellectual quotient. And he said, there's actually three forms of of intelligence. There's IQ, there's EQ, which is emotional quotient. And then there's LQ, which he talks about is, as love quotient. And I, I see success as something that in our mainstream culture is really starting to evolve. So how much of the challenge that we face today with success is actually our ability to shift our internal definitions or narratives of success to actually include this fulfillment piece, this emotional intelligence, this you know, love, if you will, but also to start to shift our definition from not just what we do, but the fulfillment that we actually uh, that we actually get from that. So how do you how do you think that this will impact our identities? But also, how do you think that this shift is starting to impact uh, men's versions of, of of their careers and the work that they're doing?
1: Yeah, and it's, you know, the the working environment is you know, to your point, it's today is so different than it was 30, 40, 50 years ago. It's more challenging and more demanding and in some ways so much faster at change. And it requires different things of us. And it's also more diverse. Uh, we are a much more mobile society and we have a lot more women uh, in the workforce than we did 50 years ago. And so we have a much better, more robust workforce, which necessitates us continuing to develop in really key areas. And I, I couldn't agree more with his statement about IQ, EQ, and, and LQ. You know, when, when he talks about the love quotient, I think about, and I always talk about, the relationship quotient. Very rarely, very rarely do we ever accomplish significant things without somebody else. I don't care if you're a musician, physician, athlete, or started your own little business. That's just been incredibly rewarding you will always find significant relationships uh, that people have. You know, I just watched here a little while back, I watched the uh, documentary Becoming Warren Buffett and was just fascinated to see uh, even Warren, who's a really interesting man for, for a lot of reasons. But what you see in that are you see him having a couple of really key, significant relationships that have influenced what I would say broadly defined as his intelligence. You know, one of those that is certainly talked about, written about a much is with Bill Gates. And on paper, you go, why in the world would those two guys connect up? And what have they got to help? How are they going to be beneficial to each other? But I think in that you see a tremendous example of sort of the appreciation and understanding that greatness requires a sacrifice, which means it's going to stress us to a place that we need to make sure we have the resources necessary and available, and two of those huge resources are our psychological emotional intelligence understanding and growth, and our relational intelligence understanding and growth
0: yeah, I mean having that type of intelligence that that emotional intelligence is so important and and having that ability to to create uh, to create community I, I think is is massive you know women have this beautiful ability to build a deep community. Most women have a, a beautiful ability to do, to build community. And, and it requires a certain degree of emotional intelligence. Why, you know, I see a lot of guys struggling to just build meaningful relationships with some of the men in their lives. Uh, you know, because a lot of us have this built in perception that maybe we got from our dads or our uncles or our grandparents that, you know, masculinity is based on the idea that we need, to, you know, we not not that we need to, but really successful men are the lone rangers, and that we that we do things solo, that we're lone wolves. And so I see a lot of guys buying this idea that in order to be successful as a man, as a father, as a provider, that they need to do it alone. So you know what I see is this social isolation really starting to pop up, and it really plays a huge role in in a downfall or the the yeah the downfall of a lot of men, and so. I'm curious, what are some of the signs that you've seen, you know, in with uh, hundreds and maybe the thousands of people that you've worked with? What are some of the signs of social isolation? And, you know, what are your thoughts? How does this play into things like addiction and depression?
1: Oh man. Okay. First, God, I love I uh, so love that. You're you're spot on. But one thing I would say though, Connor, is We men, we have the same desire for relationship and community because if you think about now, now stay with me before, or you think about up until college, if you went to college, high school, if you stopped at high school, we played sports, men love being on teams and sports. We love the military. We it's, it's what's behind fraternities and military and team sports men love to fellowship together we do but when we're finished with college we tend to separate from that and that because we see those as as play i don't have time to play i've i've got to move on with career and then so you see this dip of relational connectedness and you'll start to see it pick back up usually in the later 30s and 40s. But we have the same desires. It looks different, and it even has some different purposes than I think you'll see in women. But I think that's part of what you hear in some of these conversations. It's part of what we're trying to get at when you see either those YPO groups or Vistage groups. there. It's men trying to create that same piece of, hey, how do I have a relationship or get in a community or a tribe with other guys that are striving and growing as well so one i think it's hugely important for men and two um, back to your question about isolation it is the most savage of all mental health symptoms i think that we ever struggle with across all diagnoses you see it with people that struggle with mood like depression bipolar you see it in people that struggle with having a really active mind And worry a lot or quote stressed, which is also just a way of saying anxiety. You also see it with people who drink. Now it looks different, right? And in mood, you just don't feel like it. You're not as interested. So you just don't even respond and you just don't have the energy to engage. Whereas with anxiety, it creates stress to think about going to this or doing that. And what will I say? And I'm worried about being prepared. And so anxiety leads you to pull back and withdraw. And with alcohol, if you've had a, a beer or two or a glass of wine or two, and somebody shoots you a text, hey, we're meeting up here to watch the Monday night football, or hey, we're going to get together and, and play pickup basketball. Well, if you've had a drink or two, you're not going. And so what happens, It you still end up isolated, but for very different reasons, and it looks different. And it's the most savage of all symptoms, because when we start to isolate, we don't do better. We don't. And, and those things, physical activities and interacting with other people, absolutely help our mood. There's so much good research out there. Balduzzi uh, touches on it a little bit. You know, there's, there's a lot to be said for nutrition and our cognitive abilities and even energy levels. And so it's when we isolate, it tends to spiral down in a hurry.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting, actually. Harvard just came out with, uh, there was this piece of research that was done through Harvard, and they did a 75-year study to really look at what is the most important factor as human beings in our lives, in terms of our, our happiness, in terms of our, our longevity of, of our actual, of our lives. And what they found was the most important component comes down to not the quantity, but the quality of our relationships. And you know I, I was hoping that you could bring it back to almost like a tactical sense, um you know because obviously we know that relationships are important, but w- what I'd like to know is really twofold first, if our tendency and these you know is if our tendency and we know that this is our tendency is really to isolate and go into our cave when we're stressed out or um you know maybe just in general, if we know this, how do we battle against it because i I hear a lot of guys saying that like I know that I isolate. I know that I try and do things on my own. I know that that doesn't work, um, but they're not really too sure how to actually address it. So that's one part. And then secondly, how can how can other people outside of those people who are isolating actually support? Because I you know I speak at a lot of, of conferences and events, and you know a lot of women come up and they say, you know the what you described is my boyfriend, is my husband, is my brother. How do I help? How do I get him to engage with some really great People. And so, um, so, so I'd love for you to address both of those things. Maybe the first one first.
1: Oh, man. You know, it's so funny. Even now, now, you know, I love the things people make up about me just because I work in this field, but I've got a really good, I struggle with the same thing as you. When I'm going through a difficult time at work and my mood starts getting hammered or my mind won't slow down and my sleep gets out of whack, I isolate. I've got a really good friend from college. He's one of those guys that's in my, my small tribe. Uh, and he, he kind of does the same thing as, and I do it, you do it, you go into your cave. We talk about our, you know, my life is a boat, right. And I've got all these people on it, but when I struggle, I start throwing people off my boat. I'm like, I don't want anybody around me. I'm, and it's isolating. And so I would say first, uh, it was funny as you were talking, I was like, you know, my first thought was, well, look, if you're a dude and you don't want to see a therapist like me, then get healthy relationships. That's one way to avoid a therapist. I mean, it really, and and I, I think it speaks to how valuable the right kind of relationships are. And we don't do a very good job of sorting through our problems when we isolate. We never do. We don't do it at work. I don't care what kind of work you do. And we don't do it in our personal lives. And so I think what we have to do is we have to look a little bit at the value and what do those relationships do for us. And two, what do they also help prevent? Because we don't talk about prevention in mental health, but it's related to something we talked about earlier. If I don't know what depression is, then I don't know how to prevent it. And if I don't know what are some of the problems that I should be aware of when it comes to how I consume alcohol, then I'm going to, I've got a greater chance of stepping into them. And so relationships help us prevent those things because for a lot of things, we just need to bounce something off of somebody. And that's where, you know, if you, I'm, you know, I'm actually not a big tribe kind of person. I'm not, I've got a buddy of mine that from been friends for 30 years. I'm like, man, you're a social butterfly. That's just not me. And it's probably taken me 20 years of our friendship to realize, no, I know that I'm a small tribe kind of person. I've got four or five guys that know me and I know them. And I also realize that's prevention for my mental health. They also encourage me. They help me see life in ways I don't see it. They also, whenever I'm with them, just talking about things, they challenge me to look at doing something different or to start doing something. You talk about how it's hard to get going. I saw one of these Guys, just last night we were talking about something. I'm like, man, I got to get back to that. I love doing that. He didn't tell me to do it, but I know him really well. He knows me really well. And he's, he's just talking about something he's doing. It encourages me, it kind of challenges me, but in a really good way. And he probably has no idea that he did that. But that's what meaningful relationships do for us, where we're known and where people know us, because in the midst of our careers, and it's true for women as well as men, we're going to go through difficult times. There's going to be layoffs, there's going to be job changes. we're going to lose jobs at times for no fault of our own, sometimes our own fault. And our mood and anxiety and substance use is vulnerable to change at those times. And you sometimes need a professional like me. You always need good relationships and friends. And so how do other people? that are in our lives help us with that. If it's a spouse, I'd say start gentle. Nobody likes being told what to do. Not nobody. I don't care if you're a man, a woman, or even a teenager. So some of it is the art of talking. But if knowing that those relationships are preventive and are, by the way, treatment, I can't stand that when men think, okay, I do have depression, but I don't want to talk to a therapist. Well, fine. Therapy and medications are just two things that help our mood. And so if you're a wife and you're concerned about symptoms, just encourage your husband to reconnect with that guy that's a really good friend of his. Or if he used to go play basketball, create the space for him to go play basketball or to grab dinner with a couple that you both, you know, she loves the wife and you love the husband. It's a really great relationship because that's good medicine. You know, it's funny. I, um, I just grew up. I live in Texas. I grew up going all over Texas with my dad hunting. And it took probably until my 20s or 30s to realize it was not that much about hunting. It was about being in the car and out in the woods with just him. And there are a, that small tribe of mine. Now I'm in my 50s. We go hunting all the time, several times a year. But I got to tell you, I can't tell you how many times we don't even think about hunting. It's just the drive together. It's the time together. It's the conversations with no cell phone and no email. And somebody said to my wife at one point when our kids were in the young, difficult years, they said to her, I can't believe you're okay with Kevin leaving and going hunting. And she said, you know, I got to tell you, when he comes back, he's a better husband, a better father he's just a better man. I don't mind him going. And again, I go back to it's one of those things that changed my life when she said yes, because I didn't really realize it. She realized that way before me. And so I I think that's a little bit of we need relationships because it's prevention and it's also good medicine.
0: Oh, man, I love that. Um, I mean, it's really interesting that you say that. I've, I've been working with this guy who is hyper successful. He's really he's just crushing business. And, you know, towards the end of one of our last sessions, we were talking about his, his work environment. He said, you know, the higher up, the higher up the mountain you go, the lonelier that it is. And, and I kind of sat there in, in disbelief. And I was like, you know, that's actually kind of a messed up view to buy into, because it doesn't actually have to be like that. You've bought into the belief that the higher up the mountain you go, the lonelier that it is. And that actually stops a lot of people. But the idea that in order to be successful, in order to climb the mountain, uh, the more we are going to be alone is, is a little absurd. And our mission isn't to leave people at the bottom of the mountains so that we can get to the top. Our mission should be to take the best people with us to ensure the most likelihood of us reaching the top so that when we do fall, so that, you know, when we need somebody to pick us back up because we're not too sure that we can carry on or we're not too sure how to reach the next step, that there's somebody there to, to really support us. So, uh, you know, and, and I'm kind of like you in the in a sense that I have a, and, and a lot of our listeners out here that, you know, I have like a big social media network. Uh, and it can be easy to have these really thin surface level relationships where you connect with them once in a while. And so, you know, I, I like the insight that you gave of of having the partner encourage uh, those people to build some really meaningful and it doesn't have to be a lot, one or two or three really meaningful relationships. So along that line, if we see that our partner is struggling, maybe with some isolation or they're struggling with depression uh, or the the beginning signs of it or, or some major anxieties, how do we connect with them in a way that's that 's not like abrasive or or turns them away or shuts them down from actually getting the support they need
1: yeah it's I just laugh because you know there's times that i 'll have a wife that 'll call and want to meet with me to talk about her husband 's struggles, which is so it's so normal again we 're late to the party. And a lot of times, and it's just by accident, it's not always mean-spirited, say he's an alcoholic or he's depressed or he's anxious. And I always tell him, okay, look, first of all, stop saying that. Number one, I don't know what you mean by that. And neither does he. Be specific. Be specific when you, That's what I'd say to all wives or women that are fiancés or daddy, be specific. What is it you see? I see you being more tired. I see you being more irritable. You just don't seem like you enjoy some of the things you used to, or I feel like you're you're really having a really hard time kind of turning your mind off. It really seems like you're distracted and it's starting to impact your sleep. And even at dinner, you're not really here with us. Your mind's still okay. Well, you don't need to say anxiety or depression. Men, men argue when you say depression, I had a guy, this has been almost 25 years. And I remember to this day, I was a young therapist. And uh, I was a supervisor, and I had a clinician said, man, I just saw this guy, and he has depression, but he keeps arguing with me. So I went in and saw him, and I just went through the symptoms of depression. I said, hey, how are you doing with your energy level? And so I went through everyone. Oh, no, not good, man. I just it's been really down. I said, man, I hate to I hate to be the one to tell you this, but all of those symptoms, it's what we tend to refer to as kind of depression. And he immediately started crying. Now, that was, you know, 30 minutes into, hey, what are your symptoms? And I'm okay with symptoms. Now, I was in a clinical setting. I wouldn't do that as a wife, but even if you're a therapist, especially if you're a therapist and a wife, don't do it. But talk, yeah, that's a double don't do it. But no, if talk about the symptoms, we're usually okay or a little more agreeable to talking about symptoms. And so that's what that's one of the places I tell people to go. And then gently look at information. And know that it's not going to be usually it's not a conversation that's one and done. It's a conversation that you're going to have several times, because if you've got a good enough relationship, which is what we all should strive for good enough. And and I say that in very high praise, but it means that there, he's going to think about it. I mean, there are times that my wife, if you're sitting there listening and you saw a conversation and she was saying something like this to me. And then at the end of the conversation, I said, hey, do you think what do you think? You know, you think I was listening you think and you might go, no, man, you totally disagree with her and say, yeah, that's not entirely true. That may have been what it looked like, but I'm thinking about what she said and I'm going to think about it for a couple of days. But if you will give me some space, let it breathe, let let your point have some air, especially when it's a valid point, then it's going to bug me because I'm going to start to take that statement and measure it up the next couple of weeks and go, hey, wow, she's right. I am kind of doing that. And then it creates the opportunity for another discussion. We sometimes, spouses especially, we sometimes think we can address difficult things in one conversation. And that's our fault. I do that to my wife at times. She sometimes does it to me. And especially if you think you see something that might be depression or anxiety or alcohol abuse, start easy. Talk about the symptoms.
0: Yeah, that's that's good. I think that that ties in because I was going to ask about anxiety because I think that even in the dating world, you know, oftentimes we can start to get into these uh, relationships or dynamics where we or the other person have a lot of anxiety. And I see this a lot with this is it's not traditional. It's not a general thing. But I hear a lot of guys being like, oh, I started dating this girl. And three months in, you know, she's got like a lot of anxiety. She's constantly like, are you talking to anybody else? You see anybody else? And, And she's always on my case. And I think that there just becomes like this general feeling of frustration of not knowing how to support their partner. And I hear a lot of guys struggle with this and it just becomes, you know, it just turns into anger. It just turns into them shutting down. And so, you know, as a guy or or as a woman, how do we support a partner who has a lot of anxiety and a lot of concerns and is constantly in that state? Because I think that that's that might be a little bit past the dealing with or, or talking about the symptoms. So how do we support somebody that's, that's really anxious quite a bit of the time?
1: Yeah, when it gets to the level, like you're talking about, where it's starting to have an impact on your meaningful relationships, yeah, we've, we've, we should have already had some of the other conversations. And talking about anxiety is a difficult conversation. There are some great books out there. When Panic Attacks is one of the, boy? that's a book that's been around for several decades, and it is outstanding at breaking apart the internal structure that is anxiety. And so it comes back a little bit to get some education about what is anxiety and how does it respond. But the other piece is to be able to have that conversation with them in a way that they unpack, what is it that your head's doing? Because anxiety almost always is about making up stories. And there's a lot of good stuff out there about staying in the moment and being present. All of that stuff really, honestly, is speaking to stress, worry, and anxiety. And I can't tell you how many people, that, especially executives, because what you see, Connor, is that you see the peak of depression is between the ages of 45 and 65. And anxiety mirrors that. And it's not coincidental because that's when your career and family are taken off. And so we do have a lot going on social media. It hasn't been around enough that we've got a really robust research set, but we've got enough data to tell us that, especially with the college crowds, because the college students, men and women, we're seeing a rather significant increase in anxiety and mood and substances. We think at least some initial studies looking that social media, including our smartphones, have a way of increasing our anxiety. So, if you're already at a point of anxiety, you have to look at I need to do some things in my environment to begin to change things. And I've got to step in and gain a greater understanding of what is anxiety. And that's where I come back to men being so slow to where I've seen. For thirty years, I wish I'd kept track of how many men i I saw that were referred to me by an ER physician because they had a panic attack, thought they were having a heart attack, and went to the ER only to have the the medical personnel tell them, "Your heart's fine, it's in your head," and which is a bad way of saying you've got anxiety, and it spiraled up to the point that you had a panic attack. And so again, if you don't want to see a therapist start reading get some information if your mind if you have a, a really active mind that won't slow down and it starts to disrupt your sleep relationships uh in that in the documentary becoming warren buffett his wife talked about that um she talked about how yo you can be in the same room with warren but he's not there and so you go okay if if my mind's starting to do that i need to just read up on those things because Stepping into different activities can help slow my mind down because when you're constantly active, it's almost like you're operating certain regions of your brain, Um, you're redlining it. And and what you do from a neurochemical and physiological standpoint is you're dumping an an inordinate amount of stress hormones into your system. And so you never allow that to cool off. And so again, I come back to, we all struggle. We all struggle. That's why, you know, it's, you just want to struggle well. Well, in order to struggle well, I need to know what am I actually wrestling with? It's, I can't tell you how many professional men that I, and I just did last week, have the conversation with them. I'm like, look, you don't have an alcohol problem. And I, and his wife's sitting right there. I'm like, look, it's not an alcohol problem. He has an anxiety problem. Now, he's managing it with alcohol, and that is a problem, but it's not the problem. The problem is the way his mind's working, and it's part of why he's so successful, but it's also part of why you guys are struggling in your marriage. He's not enjoying things he used to enjoy, and why he's using alcohol the way he's using it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's really interesting because like what you're talking about. I mean, there's two pieces that I definitely wanted to to touch on, and and then we'll we'll start to wrap it up. But I've heard it referred to as the ruminating mind, the meddling mind, the you know muddling mind, like whatever it is. But this this sort of mindset where our mind will latch on to things and just it'll go on spin cycle and it'll just keep replaying, (laughs) you know, the anxieties of what if I don't close that deal? What if I approach her and she says, no, what if this relationship doesn't pan out? What am I going to do? What if I get fired from my job? Like, you know, and we'll fixate on these things that are in our life. And when I say that, I'm sure that some of our listeners are like, oh, man, I know it. Like, this is what it is for me. And our minds just and they just fixate on these on these issues, problems challenges whatever. And one of the things that I've that I've seen and I used to have this quite a bit where my mind would just fixate on something and you know I would be laying in bed for like 2 hours at night just thinking about this and I wouldn't be able to let it go. And one of the things that I found really really effective was to get a small little journal like a you know pen and paper and just write out what my mind was fixated on. And, yep. and then to write out the, you know, just certain questions after, like, what is it serving me to just continually think about this? And, you know, then it was very clear. It's like, I'm losing sleep and, you know, this kind of stuff. And it's like, what, what is the answer? What, what am I trying to find? What am I anxious about? What am I concerned about? What am I worried about happening? And just taking five minutes, maybe 10 minutes to write that stuff out. Really allowed me to let it go because it was like my mind was fixated on it in such a way that I, you know, it was trying to find some answer or solution that just wasn't being provided. The other thing that I wanted to touch on, I thought it was so important that I think is so relevant, is the social media piece. I've noticed that in the past, like, you know, I went through this dark phase quite a few years ago and I noticed that I had this tendency to lean on social media in a really heavy way. And so I found myself getting up in the mornings and immediately like looking at Reddit or Facebook and just endlessly scrolling through or Instagram. And then at night, you know, before bed, I'd find myself for like 30 minutes doing the same thing. And it just created this really foggy mindset where I didn't seem to have any focus. And I I think a lot of guys struggle with this. Maybe it's not Reddit. Maybe it's not Facebook. You know, I I hear a lot of professionals will roll out of bed and immediately dive into their email. From a research base, it's one of the worst things that we can do. And so, you know, we really have to practice shifting that behavior and creating space in place of where we would normally defer to those social media platforms. And that might mean turning off notifications. It might mean deleting it off your phone. Like I deleted Reddit off my phone a long time ago. And then, you know, not allowing ourselves to go to those crutches, right? Whether it's drinking, whether it's social media, whatever it is, and replace it with facing you know, uh, ourselves being able to write out what's happening or meditate or replacing it with these healthier components that allow us to actually process what's going on.
1: Yeah. And, and it's, and I think having that mindset of, you know what, I'm I'm going to have to just have the mindset of there are going to be times I do it well and times that I get out of that routine. But am I, am I aware of the price I pay for overindulging in those things? Because I look at Having to manage our environment, especially social media, it's funny. I'm, I'm not kidding you, Connor. I turned off the notifications on my computer <laughs> like Wednesday because it was disrupting my work. And I look at my work environment, and, and I don't think this was true 15 years ago, but I look at my work environment, meaning social media, email, my cell phone. I look at it like we have to look at food now. And food and the food industry is not our friend. Almost a third of this country is obese, and it's not from lack of knowledge. The food industry and food is not our friend. And so we have to manage it. Portion sizes aren't what they should be. They're empty calories. They're designed and built so that they're pleasurable in our mouth, not that they have a a filling sensation for us. And I look at our work environment, our life environment, the same way. Is that I, I've got to exercise greater control on when I look at my phone, when I actually quote start working. And that's where quote worrying or having a mind that's constantly active. I man, I I have struggled on more than one occasion. Uh, disrupting my own sleep for the same reasons. And I came across the same advice you did. I have a pad of paper by my bed. It just lives on the, on the nightstand. And when I find myself tumbling an idea, what it does, anxiety, right? You, you start to sort through that problem. And then what your fear becomes, God, I got to remember this tomorrow. I'm afraid I'm going to forget it. So your mind ramps up another RPM or two so that you hang on to that information. But if you'll just write it down, you're, you'll allow your mind to quiet down, and that's the part that, if we're going to be successful, and if you think about success broadly, we need our best thinking, and our best thinking means I've got to be pretty, I got to be pretty vigilant about my work environment and my my work routines, and if I start to do some little things, they're going to have a dramatic impact. They just are, and I have to also realize I pay a price for allowing anxiety and my mind to dictate the pace of my life because what I'll end up doing is eliminating things that I, quote, don't have time for, like getting together with my buddies or taking time off to spend with just my wife and not on the phone or email or anything else. And those things, if you want to excel and if you want to do great things, and and great things is a relative term, I do think we all have the opportunity to do some great things in our life. But you're not going to do that without some sacrifice. Every great achievement requires a sacrifice, whether it's getting that job, getting a promotion, having your wife say yes, or running a marathon. You're going to have to manage some of those little things. And if you manage some of those little things, they'll start to become part of your routine. And if you get lucky and they become part of your routine for a little bit more than a week or two, they start to become habits. And and the more we do that, the more we insulate ourselves from some of those things that we're tempted to escape into, like social media or TV or food or alcohol.
0: Mm yeah I like it. I like it well, we gotta wrap up here kevin and and I really appreciate you being on the on the podcast. You've got a great um i mean you you know some of what we talked about today uh is is really summarized condensed and 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 laid out in a really cool way in your book struggle well, live well uh can you tell us just a little bit like a brief summary about the book and and what people could expect if they checked it out
1: yeah you know it's um I've just tried to pull together uh, actually a lot of things that we've talked about on this podcast you know what? We don't need therapy. We don't always need therapy. And in fact, most of the time we change without therapy. But there are times I need help sorting through situations. And if you want to call that a counselor or a therapist or coach, fine. But I've tried to pull together some of the things that we commonly see that we struggle with. A lot of it are, are ways of looking at our situation. And some of it is about, okay, we'll start making some little changes. You improve 1% every year in this aspect. And before you know it, you'll see dramatic changes in your life. So um, it hits on a number of the topics we did. and, And I think my hope is it'll help people start to maybe look at their situation a little different. And if you can do that, you might just try one or two new things.
0: Nice nice I like it and sometimes it still is one or two things that make the difference so I appreciate you being on the podcast and uh, and looking forward to what you come out with in the future for everybody else out there make sure you check out Kevin uh, on the website we've got his links below in the in the comments below uh, and uh, don't forget to uh, like and subscribe on iTunes leave us a review it goes a long way uh, to getting the podcast into the ears and on the phones of other people uh, and my ask of you is that you man it forward or lady at forward and recommend this podcast to someone Uh, a lot of the times you know we as men we might not we might want want to read a book but we might be open to listening to a podcast that can help us shift change and grow so men at forward let somebody know about this podcast and uh, head on over to mantalks.com for more blog posts podcasts and videos from our live event until next week join us for another inspiring conversation with another inspiring individual this is connor beaton signing off